Hey everybody, Pierre Quinn here, and you're listening to episode 135 of the Leading Wild Green podcast, where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. This episode of the podcast, I am joined by Commander Jack Riggins, retired United States Navy SEAL. Before we jump into that conversation with Jack Riggins, I want to thank you so much for supporting the Leading Wild Green podcast. You listen to it, you rate it, you share it. Your support has been incredible, and the more that you share, the more we're able to help more leaders on their leadership journey. This episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast is brought to you by the Next Step Summit. That's right, the Next Step Summit on November 24th, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. I'm hosting the Next Step Summit entitled Courage Activated. And the purpose of the Next Step Summit is to equip leaders, creatives, entrepreneurs, and executives to take the next step in these crazy times. So we're bringing all of you together to address some of the challenges we're facing and then recognize and take advantage of the opportunities that you have. I know it's crazy in the world and there are some incredible opportunities to lead with greater effectiveness that you have right now. But in order to do that, you're going to have to take the next step. So joining me are Candice Doby. Joseph Michelli, Sterling McKinley, Kirk Phillips, and Heather Day. And you can find out more information at prcquin.com slash next step. That's prcquin.com slash next step. It's absolutely free. November 24th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern time, the next step summit. And you want to check that out. Okay. My guest today is Commander Jack Riggins, retired United States Navy SEAL. Now, in his former life, he was Commander Jack of the United States Navy and SEAL team. He loves to talk and tell stories, and he spent 20 years in SEAL team and U.S. Special Operations serving all around the globe. Jack participated in contingency operations as part of the United States' initial response from October to December 2001 after the 9-11 attacks. Later assigned to SEAL Team 3 as a troop commander, Jack was the commander of the Naval Special Warfare Task Unit in Ramadi, Iraq, in charge of counterterrorism and counterinsurgency operations in the Al-Ambar province. At Special Reconnaissance Team 1, Jack focused on multidiscipline intelligence support missions for SEAL Team, Special Operation Units, and other government agencies. As a leadership and cultural dynamics expert, Jack works to make the world a better place, one person at a time. He has consulted with business leaders across the United States, pro athletes, Olympians, and NCAA teams as part of his mission. And how do we know that Jack has been effective in his work? Well, battlefields, boardrooms, and NCAA championship teams don't lie. Here's my conversation with Commander Jack. I'm excited to be joined on this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast by Commander Jack Riggins. Jack, thanks for being my guest today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So let's chat, man. Let's let's take it all all the way back, all the way back. It's it's something I like to do with my podcast guests. Take us back to to childhood, and you know, for a lot of people in their childhood, there was some experience that really put them on the path. They knew from that childhood experience that this is what I wanted to do, or this left an indelible mark on me, and I've been just kind of working through it ever since. What's, what's the story like for you? Is it a mix of both? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit mix of both, but I think if we talk about um, like key motivators, yeah. um, you know, I've discussed how I had an abusive father when I was real young and, you know, that left an indelible mark, you know, and, and I'll also say first, you know, no matter who you are, uh, we all have crap, um, yeah. you know, how we deal with that crap and, um, not only in our adult life, but kind of what we bring to adult life from our childhood um, can really define and, and set us on a good path or a bad path. But in my case, you know, I would say from a motivation standpoint, when I was real young and witnessed those things and and went through it, certainly I think like a lot of people, it, it caused a lot of anger, mm-hmm. a lot of questions. Um, and I had a hard time working through that kind of as I grew up. But it kind of left me with, I have a choice to kind of try to go be different than that and, and go be good for lack of a better term in the world, or 
just kind of take what I want and, and, and be bad and treat people like crap. And in my case, you know, witnessing treating women like crap and, um, and little kids, you know, in the case of a father that abuses you Mm. and, and I chose, you know, to be the opposite of that. Um, I certainly dealt with a lot of mental health issues back then. And like I said, anger and outbursts and, and control of emotions, um, up through my high school years. Um, and so, yeah, I chose the United States Navy and SEAL team as a place where one, I could serve, uh, cause I think that's honorable and, and that's good. Mm-hmm. And I also thought it was a place for maybe a lot of my energies and, and things I hadn't worked out yet that I could channel them from negative into positive. And then from there in SEAL team, you know, I began to, I think, learn a lot of things that would, you know, almost put that completely in my rearview mirror um, and move forward, you know, with a different path in life than what I have had observed as a young person. We got some people listening to the podcast right now. They are early career professionals or even mid-career professionals, and they in some form or fashion resonate with with what you just shared, you know, growing up in an abusive environment and at this point, you know, they're they're program directors, they're senior director, even C-suite employees. And they're right now just thinking about my dad did this, my mom did this, an uncle, you know, somebody at church, coach of my baseball team. Something happened, physical, verbal, emotional, and and they're trying to look for a place to channel that energy or heal from it. What what perspective would you share for them? Share with them about taking this step to actually getting that help so they can be high performance leaders. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just described what I, you know, call crap and, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, it's in our brains. Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing that everybody has to realize is that we can hold on to all of that or we can do something about it. Mm-hmm. And so I've always found that, you know, the first step in dealing with any of this stuff, you know, all the situations that you described is, you know, admitting that it's kicking our butt or admitting that it's bothering me or admitting that it's holding me back. You know, it was easy for me to try to tough through everything. Right. Mm. It, it, it was almost like to fight it head on. And it was an endless battle because you couldn't win something that happened in the past. Wow. Right. Yeah. You couldn't battle you in your mind. You could think you were winning, but the one that is continually suffering from these things is me. Right. And then it's affecting my daily attitude and my daily observations of other people, or maybe how I communicate now as an adult with future bosses and things like that. So the first step is to admit something is bothering you. And that can be something from the past. That can be something that's happening, you know, right now with your family, your bosses, Okay, now that we've admitted that, we can start to take the path of how do we get better because of that experience? How do we build maybe mechanisms or go get support to help us grow from that experience? And sometimes we have to do this real time as we work with coworkers or other situations. And so, number one, for me, it's admit it. Number two, it's also look at the long run. Right. It's progress, not perfection. None of these kind of self-improvement, I want to be better happen overnight. Right. It's yeah. it's we're growing, right? And and we take that long approach to these type issues um each day. And you know, some some little battles in your head, you know, you're gonna do well and, and some you're not. But what I would say is, you know, what I believe and and what I teach is you know, this this circle which is you. Right. And outside of that circle are all this stimulus, you know, from social media to how other people talk to us to events in your life. But what you really can control, right, in in everything is your attitude and your effort towards Mm -hmm. those outside stimulus. And that's what I think is the first step to kind of mastering all of this and being a better version of yourself and also being extremely resilient to the things that are happening now but also learning from the things in the past to make mm. yourself better. So I like movies. I like television shows. Uh, I like a fair amount of military stuff. 
I, I need you to to shoot straight for us, Jack. How 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 big is the gap between the fictional depiction of what it is to be a Navy SEAL and the what it is in real life to be a Navy SEAL? <laughs> First of all, that's a great question. Um, you know, I I would say the gap, depending on what exactly um, is being depicted, is very large. And I'll give you an example. Um, over the last 20 years, um, because of the global war on terrorism and just kind of the way society has viewed, there's just been a lot of access to see things in the military. And in the case of my particular job, you know, Navy SEALs. Mm -hmm. So a lot of SEALs and a lot of military experts have advised on a lot of the shows and movies. And so when it comes to some of the look, the gear that maybe even some of the tactics and some of the ways you see operations done, they're actually much better over the last 20 years than any time before in our country's history. You know, if you even go back and watch World War II movies. So that has gotten decently accurate. You know, what people wear, you know, how they move, um, how the operations are kind of done. However, um, in that case, I'll call it tactics and operations. You're really seeing about 10 to 15% of that entire enchilada. And obviously that 10 to 15% is what sells because that's important in books and movies and things like that. Um, But you're also missing a lot of the um, really behind the scenes and how it's done and how the training leads up to that. And, and really how the entire force, you know, I'll take the United States Navy or joint special operations, how all the people behind us, you know, support what you're going to see for two hours. Right. And if you just take the simple military doctrine kind of thing, it, it's about 10 to one tooth to tail, we call it, which means, you know, one soldier seal, you know, 10 support people. So you're missing a big piece of the overall architecture. Um, now, some people would say, well, that's boring, this, that, and another thing. As a person that did it for 20 years, I can tell you that they are integral, if not maybe more important than what you're going to see in that 15 minutes, because none of that, you know, stuff happens without them. And so I think you find from most of us a a great appreciation, obviously, for all of the people that and and jobs and, and expertise that aren't seen as much. But at the same time, I understand in the tactics and in the guns and the explosions, you know, that that's what sells. Um, So I hope that you know, when people listen, they realize, oh, that's pretty cool, but there's a lot more to it. And I kind of liken it, if you have sports fans, to, you know, we see the athletes take football out on Sunday. But, you know, the reality is, even for the individual athlete, there's been a lot of time with trainers, you know, keeping them healthy. There's been probably 20 hours of film study going on, you know, before that Sunday. So there's a lot. And, you know, that's kind of that end of it. Now, the thing that cannot be captured on celluloid or even in books. Now, in some of these interviews, I think um, you can capture it a little bit and I'll try, which is you cannot simulate the emotional stress, the, you know, the smells, the friction, and, and also the joy that goes on when you're dealing with life and death situations. Um And that's huge. I mean, think about it. You know, people losing good friends, um, people making mistakes in combat because it's a dirty job that Mm. cause innocent people to lose their lives. Um, You know, the stress of trying to get that, you know, get the needle right down the middle to where it's done ethically and morally. Um, I think a lot of people forget there's a lot of legalities that go with that. And Mm. so, you know, balancing all of that. And, you know, um, and that's within the unit, that's within the architecture of the service and and doing a job that's inherently risky and dirty. And there's going to be second and third order effects from all of that stuff, whether it's mm-hmm. injuries, mm-hmm. death, you know, emotional trauma, all those things. That's not well documented. And now let's go to the families right now. Let's back out to the support network of each individual 
whether it be spouses, kids, mothers, fathers, friends yeah. back home. So there's a whole group, right, of people that kind of live vicariously through you because they care about you. They're interested in your career, but they also know there's a chance that, you know, something bad could happen to you. So to me, those are some of the stories that are missed and are actually some of the most uplifting and interesting. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I think we're currently at. So there, there, there is a big gap in a certain sector sector of that. Um, there's a gap that's been closed and, and frankly, it's kind of cool. I mean, I'll be honest, my kids play uh, a lot of video games. I think, well, heck, a lot of my SEALs did. Um, you go to some of these video games today, uh, when you're talking tactics and techniques and weaponry, and I'm like, holy cow, like that's better than what we were doing, you know, and what we had, you know, so, yeah. so at that level, you know, they've done a good job. You mentioned the emotional stress that, of course, is it's hard to to translate and hard for people to experience if you've never been there. I'm 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 looking at your your PR sheet and I see these four images, you know, four different stories uh, at the top. Talk to me about the the emotional journey between this this first picture of you, clean cut in your uniform. And then this second picture of you with your eyes big, your your eyebrows, you know, extended upward, <laughs> you know, let come get at me, bro, sort of, you know, what's the emotional story between those two images? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll say first, obviously, when, you know, you're learning to be a professional and, and it doesn't matter where you're at. I mean, we have who we are and we've discussed that a little bit and we kind of bring our crap together and, and certainly... Uh, we all learn within whatever we're trying to do, the professional side of that. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, there's good reason for that. I mean, we need that. Uh, it helps us teach. It helps us sell. It helps us, you know, be good teachers, you know, whatever we're going to do. And, you know, you need to, you need to pay attention to that and quest for that a little bit. Right. And, and learn the goods and bads of that. Um, at the same time, sometimes d- different jobs, you know, kind of put the, the real human being kind of second or third down the list with Mm -hmm. that kind of face of work. Certainly the military um, is a place where we we do tear down people to build them back up in, in micro ways to fit the job that's required. And, and all of us in the military, you know, volunteer and know that going in. And so there's a level of that. And yet the military, like a lot of jobs, first responders, things like that, um, you know, you do put mental health and and the stress of all of that kind of in the back seat, and so that's going to come out in so many different ways hmm. with all the different diversity of people that we have and backgrounds, and it is going to come out. And some people do a phenomenal job of what I call using you know very healthy coping mechanisms me- mechanisms for that, um, and and other people don't. And so you're going to see coping mechanisms that aren't healthy. And yet as a leader, because we're talking about leaders, one, you, you have to worry about yourself. You have to take care of yourself as well, but you also have a responsibility to these people that you lead. And so you have to prepare for that. You have to be educated. You have to have programs or ways of dealing with that to help your people. Because I always believe that people are the most important resource you have, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a, a one person business owner, you still are trying to sell something to people or you have your family behind you. So understanding that, you know, people make bad mistakes. People don't handle things well at times. And oftentimes we help get people out of that by communicating and realizing that. And, you know, that kind of then leads to my really 20 year lesson learned. And it, I don't mm-hmm. think it makes a lot of sense to people, but it's Leadership and SEAL team is compassion, empathetic, and very servitude, right? Compassion, empathetic, things that we're not necessarily associated with in those movies, yeah. so to speak. Um, and so that kind of takes me to that wide-eyed picture, which is, yeah, I mean, I had my own battles with it, right? From injury to opioid abuse to alcoholism. And, you know, thank God I had a lot of friends, family that, you know, said, hey, this isn't the best version of you. We've got to deal with that. And so I'm kind of a walking case of success, but bad coping mechanisms, you know, kind of bad thoughts 
and going down a path that, you know, wasn't where I wanted to be, but I really had kind of lost control, but then getting through that challenge. Right. And now spreading the word on it, if you will. So those are real, those are real things in leadership. Um, Yes. I am both that professional that you see and did that. But at the same time, I'm also this guy and, and I think it's life. And, you know, I know I have a few more other pictures on there Mm -hmm. um, that just kind of, I feel represent, you know, the total package, because that's what we have to remember. You know, I have this title, you have your title, you know, other people do, but there's a person behind that. And that person has a story as well. Yeah. And you know, what you find with people that succeed and people that, you know, are on great teams and groups is that the more authentic, you know, they are the better they are, you know, and the team is, and, and here you go. So I like to try to say, we need the professionalism or we need kind of that outward, but it's really important that it's aligned with who you really are. There are some people when they tell their, their, their backstory, their, their, their journey. And we get into that a lot on the leading law green podcast, because I know that emerging leaders need to hear, you know, the beauty of the struggle. There are some people when they tell their story, it's a bit, they, they, they tell it, from a not from a place of power or overcoming it's still from a place of sadness or or brokenness sure. for whatever stage that they're in what what's what does it feel like to have the freedom emotional freedom social freedom the freedom in your family to tell the narrative of all the pieces of who you are and not tell it from a place of wanting people to feel bad or sorry from for you but telling it from a place of you're trying to empower or encourage people who have been through similar experiences, describe the freedom of being able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a great point. I mean, I think a lot of people um, going back to, you know, this crap um, that happens. A lot of people never break out of the kind of what I call is woe is me. Mm -hmm. Um, And this happened and, you know, there's no way out of it. Okay. Number one, there's a way out of it. And I'm going to give you the magic word. It's one word choice, Hmm. right? So in America, especially, this is a great thing because we do have a choice. Is America as a whole, the best place in the world? Well, it's about the best place in the world that there has ever been. Is it perfect? No. Right. But if you see the perspective of the entire world, there isn't as many places as you think that people wake up every day and have a choice, even down to the individual thing of dealing with your own crap, right? Other things supersede that in a lot of other places in the world. Here, we have the power of choice. Mm -hmm. And so number one, it starts with the choice. Do Do I want this to kind of be my ball and chain? And that goes back to what I talked about of admitting it's kind of bothering me. It's holding me back from just being the best version of myself. Forget, you know, I want to be this or I want to be that. Just being the best version of me. I don't feel good. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Or, you know, do I want to cut the ball and chain away and move forward and experience and try to be the best version of myself? And I always encourage people, don't be afraid to go experience that. You may have to cut the chain, you know, one link at a time, yearly, mm-hmm. yearly, but you're not, you're letting other things really control you and you have the power of choice and it could be as simple as I'm not feeling good. All right. So let's start moving forward on feeling better. And there is some risk in that. I get that. Right. But I'm telling you that. Number one, we have a short time on this planet, if you really think about it. Yeah. And obviously, I've experienced guys and gals whose lives were cut short. And and that really drives it home, you know, when you you experience that. And then you ask yourself, why am I still here? Hmm. You know, what did that mean to me? Well, to me, those sacrifices to me meant I need to make sure I'm trying to use every day, not only to be the best version of myself, but to go forward in that freedom and express it in a way that says to people, Hey, we can overcome these challenges together, right? Mm -hmm. Human beings are meant to live in groups. They're meant to converse. We're not meant to be just a single entity somewhere. And so for me, that dynamic is very empowering. 
And also then the freedom, depending, I think, and obviously I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but in my particular case, when you're talking bad coping mechanisms that are addiction, you know, one of the main things that helps keep me on the right path is to be open and honest about it. So mm-hmm. that is a self-check, you know, by design. And I can also tell you that because of my professional title for many years, I was afraid to do that because mm-hmm. I was afraid of the professional repercussions that would happen. You know, oh, I'd be kicked out of SEAL team. I'd lose my, you know, I'd be kicked out of the Navy and I, I my family wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have any pay and all of this stuff. And, you know, in my case, I caught it and I didn't catch it. Other people helped me. Right. And then I finally had to catch it myself and do something about it. But I think we fear these other things. And, you know, it's almost like, oh, I'll get a short term win because I'll keep this job. If you're miserable in a job. Right. Why? There's many jobs out there. There's so many things each one of us can do and be happy. Right. And work on ourselves and be that authentic self. Right. That, again, life's too short. So go for it. And, but people do that a lot. We're, and I think sometimes it's that professional, Ooh, I don't know if I want to do this or I want to say this, but I will also say it doesn't mean you have free reign just to spit the fire out. Right. I mean, (laughs) you know, you know, pick and choose your battles. Right. But at at the same time, like realize, Hey, I want to be a better version of myself. I want to put myself in situations that I, you know, in my case, I always use the eight out of 10, like eight out of 10, 80%, 80%, I want to wake up motivated what I'm going to go do. You know, if I can hit that mark, I'm really happy. Do I hit it every day? No. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's, I'm happy with that. Like, that's my own benchmark. Like eight out of 10 days, I want to wake up motivated, enjoy the people I'm around, you know, go do what I'm passionate about, share. So I think to your question, there's a huge amount of not only self-freedom, but when I meet people on the street or I interact with people via my own podcast or whatever, I'm giving them the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. And on the backside, I can be proud of that. And I can also understand that, you know, when I see them again, they do know who I am, the real me. Yeah. And that's important to me. So do you wake up one day and say, I'm going to retire from I mean, I know lifetime seal, I'm sure, but do you wake up one day and say, okay, I'm going to retire from the Navy or is it like a suggestion? Like you had a good run. You're no longer a spring chicken. Yeah. (laughs) Like what's the, what's, what's the process for that? Yeah. I, that's a great question. I mean, I think that I, I don't know. I mean, obviously a lot of seals in my generation are retired now. Um, you know, probably 20% are still in, you know, kind of my generation, we'll call it nineties, late nineties, you know, early two thousands. I think a lot of us are, or me, I thought about it like a sports team a lot. There's a level of, it's a very physical job and there's very high standards that you have to maintain. And that of course takes a lot of personal drive, you know, beyond selection. We're just talking being Mm -hmm. on SEAL team as a career. Um, And as we discussed, you know, stressors and, you know, I have a growing family, you know, you know, that adds to it. You know, you don't start, I didn't start with that. Um, And so priorities change, but I think that, you know, for me, I always wanted to quote unquote compete for as long as I could, because I know like a lot of um, jobs um, and sports in particular, anything that somebody's attaining to do that's physical, there is a shelf life of that. And Mm. that's just, old man time. Um, and in SEAL team, some guys can kind of go for 30 years. And then, I mean, it's not like for 30 years, every tour they're, they're hitting it. Right. But they're going to kind of take a down tour, then they're going to come back and, and stuff like that for me. Um, but I think the reality is, is that yes, over time, physically you realize, okay, I'm getting beat up, you know, um, I'm not as, you know, Uh, physically good or even TTPs, you know, tactics, techniques, procedures change, you know, Mm -hmm. warfare is dynamic and, you know, you kind of age out, so to speak. Um, But the ones that do it for a long time, you know, take care of themselves. They adapt, right? They're not afraid to change. They're not afraid to work with different generations of people. In the United States Navy, at any one given time, there's about three generations of people that you deal with every day, maybe four, 
Hmm. Um, you know, all the way up to the old master chiefs and admirals, you know, down to somebody that's 18. Um, and so, you know, if you enjoy that, you know, you realize, Hey, I've got to grow this process of a career is lifelong learning, but at some point, right. We are in our forties or fifties, it's time to move on. And I think that's very individual um, to a degree, as long as you obviously can maintain the standards and and you have that want to Um, because, you know, we have a unique ability, unlike sports to uh, manipulate the teams and stuff Maybe if you're not as physically, um, you know, you're, you're not quite there like you used to be, but your experience is so valuable that we're able to, you know, maneuver the teams in ways to capitalize on that. Right. And, and so, you know, so it was, that's how I looked at it. I certainly uh, pushed the physical limits with surgeries and getting healthy and, and getting back in there for as long as I could. And I was proud of that. Um, but at the same time, there was a cost to that. And that's what I talk about on the dark side of elite a lot, that there's always a cost and we have to balance that. And it's important. And I didn't balance it really well at first, um, you know, and, and mine kind of came out at the end. Um, but in the end of the day, I realized that the cost and where I was at, you know, it was time to move on. And I think that's important because a lot of times, uh, especially with athletes I work with, I talk about leaving on your own terms. And I think that's important for our long-term health. Um, one, do things until you've done them so hard and, and as best you can that, hey, you know, I didn't make it. I didn't make the Super Bowl, say. Yeah, yeah but if the journey there was you putting your best foot forward and everything like that, you can be proud of that journey. And then you step off on your terms if you can. And I think that's important. But at the same time, I would say make sure before we make a transition – have a plan, have a new vision and to keep going. And so with regard to me, I mean, I honestly look at SEAL team as I was just a coach, teacher and mentor. And now I do the same thing in a different area and I'm going to do it until I die because I love it. I love helping other people on their journey because in turn, they help me. Let's, let's talk about that different area for, for a little bit as it relates to identity. Some people, athletes, high performers, maybe you were in public service for 20, 30 years, whatever it is, or maybe you had an injury that changed the trajectory of your professional experience. How does a person, or how did you specifically, how did you find, maintain a sense of identity outside of being an active Navy SEAL? Like this is who you are, even in your bio, you say, in my former life, I was Commander Jack. How did you wrestle with what your identity is now and how you relate to the world no longer being in that position? Yeah, I, you know, I think the Navy taught me this. Um, I may have had some mentors before that that kind of alluded to it. And this is specifically, specifically for leaders. Don't take yourself too serious. Hmm. Meaning your title is just that right? You're still a human being. People generally still either respect you for who you really are and not your title. They'll, they'll listen to your title, right? They'll, they'll maybe follow what you say, but if you really want to inspire people and be a great leader, you can't take yourself too seriously, right? Which then leads to who am I authentically? And again, go back to, I want to align those. So I always led from a place of knowing that I wasn't the best, even though my title, right, said I was leader and things like that. But I was always open to suggestions. I always took input. But the thing that I think helped me the most was that, yeah, there were plenty of times where I had to make decisions that everybody disagreed with. But I didn't make those blindly. I took input. And if I didn't go with other people's input that I felt was extremely valuable to me, right? So kind of leading from this group dynamic, I always explained very clearly why I didn't choose that, right? So I didn't blindly say, well, you know what? I'm Commander Jack and this is what we're doing, right? I went back down and I said, hey, I appreciate that input, right? But here's why we're going to make this decision. And then by the way, this is my decision because in the military, it's important 
that everybody knows, well, that's the boss and it's on me and it is on me because that's, that's my professional title. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I think happens and it can happen in SEAL team is that we take on the identity of the title SEAL, um, that macho thing in the movie mm -hmm. and, or, uh, you know, a giant executive of a fortune 500 company. And, and we take that on and, you know, you said uh, you like movies and things like I'm a big comic book guy mm -hmm. and, you know, this may not hit for some people and maybe you can explain it better, but I look at it like Spider-Man and Venom, mm -hmm. like Spider-Man is Spider-Man, but you know, this thing Venom can get in him, yeah. right. And attach. And all of a sudden it can become, you know, you, and that's the title. Venom is like your title or your, you know, professional thing. That's not you. Right. And so we've got to guard against those type things. Um, and that identity becoming us, right. It, it's a thing we do. It's not who we are. And I'm a big fan of be who you are and grow and learn and the titles and things you want to aspire to will come. Right. But they will never be you unless you let them. So you brought your whole self to this title of co-founder of Performance Mountain. T tell us a story about how that came to be. Yeah, so it was real interesting. I mean, you can imagine in SEAL Team that um, a lot of people come to SEAL Team and ask kind of like, what's the magic sauce? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there is no magic sauce. What we do better than most, I think, is is we we take care of our people and we're a very people-centric organization. And that is our magic sauce that we enhance people. We take care of people. Uh, we challenge people. We push people to failure. And then from that failure, we learn. And that cycle just repeats itself over and over. And so it becomes a very adaptive, um, ever-growing, ever-learning organization. Um, so a lot of sports teams, you know, have come and asked and had seminars. And so, yeah, so I was introduced to some coaches and, um, and from there, you know, it led back to my home, which is Nebraska. And I began even as an active duty SEAL, kind of what I called then leadership exchange, because think about it, we're getting information from people that are leading young people in sports or professional teams. And we're doing the same thing in the Navy, you know, so we would leadership exchange and mm -hmm. just ideas, uh, go witness um, how we communicate in meetings to, you know, training. And, and so I started that. And I found that very beneficial then to throw back into my SEAL career. And along that way, I, I met different people. And in one case, you know, with Performance Mountain, I met a psychiatrist who had been in sports for about 10 years here in Nebraska. And what I thought was really interesting is he had never met a Navy SEAL. And um, he was teaching some of the methodologies for mental skills that are very inherent in SEAL team. Um, you know, not necessarily mind-blowing stuff, just stuff that we uh, perfected, you know, combat breathing, mindfulness training, you know, visualization, certainly arousal control, right? Dealing with fight or flight, you know, which affects every human being. Mm -hmm. um, and he'd been training those to local athletes. And so he asked me and I described them in my, what I call user way. And he got so excited because he's like, oh, I've been teaching these for years and it's neat to meet somebody that validates it. He had been teaching it from the science side. So he was using all the data and all the things that science has found out about why these techniques work. And so anyway, a coach asked both of us to work together with his team, uh, Nebraska Volleyball. And so we met there. And after a few years of helping them uh, achieve some really good success, we were like, hey, maybe we could, you know, take this to more people. And as I started to get out of the military, you know, it aligned with my passion and my vision and it's also something that sometimes people can think is hokey. And it's also another thing that people won't necessarily associate with Navy SEALs, right? Mm -hmm. So when people mm -hmm. say, well, what's the magic sauce? You know, and I throw out something like, well, you're going to find people that learn to control their emotions, you know, and here are some of the skills they use to do that. And therefore, it controls and helps their communication with others, right? So now you start to see, wow, this can work. In small teams, it can work in corporations, it can work between husband and wives. 
So we just set out to really, you know, transform, you know, people, you know, leaders, teammates, businesses, you know, whoever wanted to understand this. And we've had a lot of great success with sports teams in the Midwest, and we're constantly refining our methodology. We've added some other folks, uh, Danny Woodhead, former NFL player. Um, we've got a former uh, All-American volleyball player. And so we have this unique group of science, you know, military, sports practitioners that all in their own way have achieved a high level, but you start to go back and see these commonalities, whether they were formally trained or whether they developed them along the way. And so what we do is we try to pass those on to people in the groups and we still work with sports teams and we work with businesses. And again, it's very gratifying because a lot of folks just have either been too busy or they haven't been exposed to these things, or frankly, they think they're hokey. And then they start to realize when we show them all of the diverse groups across business, sport, and life, and how they use them, especially people that have achieved a lot, you know, they realize, wow, these tools aren't that hard to learn. And they're not. Mm -hmm. Jack, tell us a story of a time you were doing a training, a consulting, and you came across maybe you. You saw someone that reminded you of yourself and however you were navigating life at that particular time. And after the exchange, maybe it was something you said to them individually, or maybe in the process of the training and you saw that there was a a connection and understanding there. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Well, there's several probably, Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, with leaders and people working in organizations and even followers, you know, which I consider teammates, um, you know, you only have so many bullets in the gun and you need to pick and choose your battles wisely Mm -hmm. uh, when discussing, you know, friction points, whether it be yourself or whatever. And I find that a lot of student athletes, and it makes sense because they're the student, they're the athlete, they're younger. And then their coaches are in a position of power, whether we like it or not, that's the way it is, you know, Mm -hmm. Coaches, business leaders, they're in a position of power. That doesn't mean they they have great power. It just means they're in a position of power. Mm-hmm. And I think teammates struggle a lot talking and expressing themselves properly up the chain of command, as we would say. And so it's easier if you have issues or you've identified something you think is a problem. First, like I said, identify it. Two, to the best of your ability, just think through a solution. It doesn't mean your solution is going to be right, but think <laughs> through an alternative. Because what people forget about leaders and people in position of power is that they're people too. And they have issues and they have things going on that you may or may not be aware of. Mm-hmm. And more than likely, they want the organization to be great too, or they wouldn't be there. And they want successful things. No matter how you read kind of their outward um, expressions, so now take that forward. It's a very professional way in any group to say, hey, coach, you know, so you asked me. So oftentimes what would happen is I consult and the kids are afraid to talk to a coach. Um, I develop a relationship with them and the coach obviously knows this. And there is some confidentiality in, in some issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's like, well, have you brought this up to coach? Well, no. Because this, that, and another thing's going to happen. You don't know if that's going to happen. You're, you're an expert in your own plane dynamic, whether you think you are or you aren't. You have an opinion. So let's put it in a box here and let's go, well, here's a potential solution. Now let's go talk to the coach. And once I've been able to get the athletes to work in that dynamic of, I don't agree with this, or I'm scared about this, or I think this is going south on us. And here's a potential solution. And then simply bring that to a coach or a person of power or a leader. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes the leader goes, oh, wow, I never thought about it like that. Or I didn't see it like that. And now we're communicating. Now we have a common issue that we can solve. And once young people or people that haven't really experienced this dynamic or, or more than likely, they don't trust it because of p- their past, you know, past with parents, past with peers. And all of a sudden they go, wow. And nine times, 99% of the time we work through that problem immediately. Mm-hmm. And think about how powerful that is now. 
now all of a sudden, instead of for weeks, you know, people ruminating on the what ifs or God forbid spreading kind of the cancer, as I call it in a locker room or at the coffee shop, we've knocked that target down. And so that's why I always tell people one target at a time, knock it down, knock it down. Hey, and one day we might have to knock down a hundred targets tomorrow. There might not be any, Mm -hmm. but we've got to do this. And this, this comes through communication and, you know, proper communication. And that's one of the things we teach P2P. I call it person to person communication. And it's something that, you know, we're getting kind of worse at as a society. Yeah. But um, if you work with people, which most of us do, it's a great mechanism. And so I like to see that light come on with young people because the earlier they understand that, um, the better off, not only are they going to be personally, but the better their group's going to be. And no matter how hard a coach or a leader seems grumpy, I'll say, I can tell you as a leader, how nice that is to have people that come up and do that for you Hmm. because the stress of leadership (laughs) is real. It's lonely at the top. And oftentimes you definitely don't have all the answers. And so you're always looking for input and then trust starts to develop. And that's a really good thing with people and organizations. Jack, I want to come back full circle. How old are your, you said your kids play video games. How old are your kids? Uh, Yeah. So I have a senior boy in high school and then I have a ninth grade boy an eighth grade girl and a sixth grade girl. (laughs) Okay. What's it like when you look back on your story that we talked about a little bit at the beginning of our conversation? What it what does it feel like to know in many ways that you've been able to provide a context for life and for growing up for your children that was different from from what you experienced growing up? Wow, I, I appreciate that question um, because it doesn't get asked a lot. Um. I have deep pride. It may be the thing that I'm most proud of, of my journey is that I've been able to create a complete opposite dynamic of which I grew up for my children and my wife. Um, And, you know, will that, will that pay out in their life? You know, again, they're, they're individuals, they're going to make their own choices. Um, but I have great pride that I changed the dynamic from an abusive home and adding a lot of stress, not only in my case to my mother and, and myself, you know, in my life, those early years and her life, those middle years. Um, and I've given them what I feel is, is the best start I could in life. And it takes work and there's a lot of micro decisions and I'm not by any means, I lose my mind sometimes. <laughs> you know, in this house. Um, I, I, I talk a lot about the most stressful thing I do is parent. Um, most stressful times in my life today are when I come home and I engage in all those conversations with the, those four different personalities and age groups and, and even my wife. Um, but I believe in, um, if you're going to have a family, then have a family. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to have children then take on the responsibility of growing them and giving them the best shot at life, knowing that, you know, they are going to be individuals and they are going to make their own decisions, good and bad. Um, But bringing that unconditional love has been very important to me and something that, you know, I think all of us, if we do it, can take a lot of pride, but also know that it it is a hard journey. Um, But like a lot of the other things I've talked about, you're not alone in it. You can go out and ask other people for help and, and experiences and how did you deal with this? And, and, and that, yes, your mother and father, but sometimes generationally things have moved on, but even your peers, you know? And so um, I, I am a fan that, you know, it's a cliche phrase, but it does take a village or it does take a society, a town. I mean, yeah, your coaches, your teachers, they all impact your children and, and they impact you and, and you can impact them as well. So, yeah, but again, it goes back to even SEAL team. Like I believe that you take care of people and you, you treat people the right way. And that's, that's sometimes difficult, but um, it's very gratifying. And I think it gives everyone in my family, the best chance to be successful, what their hopes and dreams are. And uh, I see it work. I get confidence because I see, I saw it work in SEAL team. I saw it work in the United States military. 
I now see it work in sports teams and businesses that I work with. I see it work in young people. And, you know, sometimes young people that I work with do go play on Sundays or you watch them in the NBA. But the vast majority, you know, hopefully just become good citizens uh, of our world, you know. And none of this is exclusive to America. Obviously, I'm a big America guy, but, you know, this is human stuff. Jack, I call this section of the podcast at the end, shameless plug time. Uh, (laughs) You you host your own podcast. You have quite a few things going on. Give us all the links, social media handles, URLs. How can we stay in touch and learn more about your work? Yeah, Performance Mountain, the consulting company where we uh, like transform people, groups and teams. Um, We focus on uh, mental skill development, leadership, uh, team dynamics and and person to person communication. That's easy. PerformanceMountain.com. And you'll find those handles on all the social social media platforms as well. Um, inside of that, the Dark Side of Elite, which is my own podcast, and it's kind of unfiltered leadership and mental health and addiction advice and stories from around the world, um, is the Dark Side of Elite.com. And those handles are out there as well. Um, and me personally, you know, I'm you can find me just at, at Jack Riggins or at Riggins Jack. You know, it's easy day. Um, and you know, I'll post some things that are a little wacky. But, you know, what I can guarantee you is that, you know, from Performance Mountain to what we teach and, and the talent that we have inside of that organization, to me, myself, um, we're authentic. And if we work with you, um, you're going to get to know us on a, on a personal level and what makes us tick and what are the, the philosophies we believe in. And, and you're going to know that what we feel is important is real and people. And we move forward together and try to solve problems. My guest on this episode of the Leading Wild Grain podcast has been leadership and cultural dynamics expert and former SEAL team commander, Jack Riggins. Jack, thanks for being my guest today. Yeah, thanks for the vine, man. Appreciate it. Great conversation with Commander Jack Riggins about his work with United States Navy SEAL team and his work today with Performance Mountain. I want to encourage you to check out what he's doing with the Dark Side Elite podcast and all the work they're doing at Performance Mountain. Put some links in the show notes so that you can just be one click away. And there's no excuse not to follow up on Jack and his work. Hey, that's all I got for this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast. You know, it's my mission to help you live, learn and lead with confidence. And I need you to sign up for the Next Step Summit, prcquin.com slash next step on November 24th. And until next time. Take care and God bless.